This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Ishmael Kawaja. Hello, hope you're well. Thanks for downloading today's podcast on Friday the 14th of October. We're starting with a Gravesend mum who's compared a school to Belmarsh Prison over what she's called unspeakable violence towards her children. Alexandra Mason claims her 13-year-old twins have been punched, verbally abused and threatened multiple times at Mepham Secondary. The 50-year-olds told the Kent Online podcast she wants serious action to be taken against those responsible. And she started by telling me more about her children's experience. They've been coerced into keeping watch on the toilets while children are vaping and smoking weed. Um, They have been punched in the face. They have been verbally abused. They have been struck to the back of the head during lesson. Um... And yeah, it's just an ongoing thing uh, on quite a weekly basis, I would say, um, that they come home or I have texts from them saying that they don't want to be there, that they're frightened to be there. And there's no point. They don't see any point in reporting anything because they feel like that nothing is ever done. So basically, they're pretty much suffering in silence until they come home to me and then. I have to step in. And so when they come home after what you say is a weekly occurrence, I mean, what state are they in? I mean, that must have a lot of impact on them mentally as well. Yes, um, Tyler struggles anyway because she's transgender. So her her mental health is is one that I have to severely look after. Um, They say, the the schools say that they have in place um, rules to not be transphobic or homophobic. Um, but they don't carry these rules through. N- none of the rules are carried through. They, it sounds good on paper, but nothing is what it says on paper. You've compared the school to, to Belmarsh Prison. I just wonder why you think that. Because they're locked in, so they are not allowed out. The uh, doors at reception are locked, so they can't leave the grounds. And there is violence on a regular basis within the school. So to be locked in with with violent children reminds me of a mini Belmarsh. Are you aware of other incidents and this being a wider problem of the levels of violence, for example? So just before the end of the academic year, so back in July, the end of July, there was an incident which was reported with Kent Online um, where a boy was beaten up so severely in... While, wait, while waiting for his parents to collect him from school, um, that he ended up in hospital. Um, he was taken there unconscious in the back of an ambulance. Um, so you would have thought that that would have been the time when the school stepped up, especially in the new in the new academic year, um, and things would have been placed to stop any reoccurrence of this behaviour. And clearly, it hasn't. So what do you want the school to do now? How can they make things easier for your children, but also for for the other pupils at the school, if it certainly is a a wider problem, like you say? Well, the punishments need to be more severe. Um, Putting a child in isolation, when we're talking about the children that don't really want to be there anyway, they have no interest in learning. For me, to put them in isolation is actually more of a reward than a punishment because they don't actually have to do anything. They're supposed to, but they don't. 
Um, and then the next step is to be excluded. Well, once again, if they don't want to be in school, then that's a reward. They're ending up staying at home, playing video games, watching TV. That's not a punishment. And then they come back and then they reoffend. I pity the school's position that they're in because I know their hands are tied to some of the punishments that they can dish out. So it needs, when I spoke to one of the teachers, I did actually say to her that it was maybe the school's job to maybe take it further and take it to government and say how frustrated they are that their hands are tied. As with the police force, the, the police force are telling me that they don't wish and they don't want to arrest people under the age of 18 because it affects their adult life and they're hoping that they could turn their lives around within that time. But there's a lot of children that are going to suffer in between that period of time where they can't do anything until they reach the legal age of being able to be arrested and maybe learn from their mistakes. So I think it needs to be it needs to be discussed properly in the House of Commons. We've asked the school for a comment but haven't had a response. Our other top stories today. Two Kent men who used an encrypted mobile phone to buy cocaine and ketamine, which they sold onto other dealers, have been jailed. Their secure communication system was infiltrated by international enforcement agencies, leading to the pair being arrested. The 34- and 27-year-olds from Marden and Lower Halstow have been locked up for a total of 25 years. There are questions about the future of several businesses in Maidstone if an historic site gets turned into flats. A developer wants to transform the Grade 2 listed power hub in St Peter Street. But firms based there, including a children's play centre, say it will force them to close. A public consultation is being held on the ground floor of the building next Tuesday. And tributes have been left on a bridge over the A2 near Dartford after two people were killed in a crash. A man and a woman in their 20s died when the car they were in overturned last Saturday. The driver was seriously injured. The pair have been named locally as Becky and Tom. Kent Online reports. Wildlife bosses have warned against Kent becoming a so-called investment zone, saying it's an attack on nature. It's one of the announcements from the controversial mini-budget and would see planning rules made simpler so big developments could be pushed through quicker. Kent Wildlife Trust say 17 wildlife sites in the county could lose protected status if the plans go ahead. Evan Bowen-Jones is their chief exec. The real issue here is that if we don't act now and if you don't act now and if you don't actually make a noise with us and tell your elected representatives that all of these changes that are being proposed uh, have to be properly thought out otherwise they are unacceptable and that whatever comes next off the back of any sort of form of, of change from the, the regulations that we've been living with for the last 30-40 years has to be based upon doing no harm to nature then we potentially lose huge amounts of wildlife in this in this county we potentially have worse pollution than, than we've currently got in this county so your drinking water and your beaches and your rivers all become dirtier and sort of filled with more sewage um, not very nice for your families to to go and have fun on a hot summer's day and in fact those hot summer's day get hotter and hotter until it's intolerable so we have those 40 degree sea days that we had this year a lot more regularly and we have people dying because of it that's what potentially is going to happen 
if this government's plan goes unchecked. It's an attack on nature, it's actually an attack on the economy in terms of having a sustainable economy. Um, and it's an attack on, on your children and their future. Meanwhile, it looks like plans to build a new solar farm near a Kent village will be rejected. The company behind the idea says installing panels on 75 hectares of land between Marden and Claygate will generate enough electricity to power 12,500 homes. But campaigners are worried it would destroy the countryside and local wildlife. Planning officers have now recommended it doesn't go ahead. Now, people living in a new development in Medway say they're shocked it's within an area that has the highest burglary rate in the county. There were 6,500 burglaries in Kent last year, with 127 of them in the River Ward. It's an area covering parts of Rochester and Chatham. These people live in new builds near Rochester Railway Station. It's a new place, so you would sort of expect to have a certain level of security around it. Um, so I am quite surprised that it's the biggest place, yeah. It's never been crime. I've never seen a car break into or any, heard anyone getting burgled, so yeah, it's, it's surprising. I am shocked because this is a new build development. I've only been living here two years. I am shocked. Kent Police say the figures include residential and commercial properties, and they have a dedicated team of officers tackling the problem. Elsewhere, Folkestone Church is being forced to install CCTV cameras and alarms in a bid to stop memorials from being vandalised and tackle drug dealing. St Mary and St Ainsworth have suffered break-ins, a serious assault on a woman inside the building and frequent trouble from youngsters over the past 30 years. The parish priest says they hope it puts off such behaviour and can identify those responsible. The boss of a care home in Faversham that's been told it requires improvement says staff have been left in tears over the rating. The CQC inspection at Canterbury House in May found a lack of action being taken to keep people safe. and Residents were not always treated with respect or dignity. It's also been criticised for being understaffed, but management believe the report's unfair and insist they'll prove they are better. Kent Online reports. There's been another rise in the number of people in hospital with coronavirus in Kent. Latest figures show 309 patients were being treated in the county on Wednesday, up from 240 the previous week. It's the third week in a row numbers have increased. Cases have also risen by 22% in the seven days to last Saturday. Well, nationally, there's been a fourth consecutive increase in England. It comes as more COVID booster jabs are being offered, this time to the over 50s. The NHS says you'll be able to book online or by phone. A foundation's being set up in memory of a little boy who passed away six years after being diagnosed with a brain tumour. James O'Connor first had surgery when he was just two after spells of being sick and feeling dizzy. He passed away in February with his family by his side. His dad Carl, who's from Sittingbourne, says it was important they did something in his name. We always thought that we would do something after James passed away to carry on his name and create bit of a legacy for James and always talk about his name and help other people that have been through similar to what we've been because sometimes it can be lonely very difficult and you, you don't know sometimes where to go for advice so that's why we want to set up the set up the foundation in James's memory so that we can help other families and children going through similar to what we've been through giving them little Lego gifts because James absolutely loved Lego he was mad about Lego so it was important for us to do something that James loved and then pass that on to other kids. So being able to make other kids smile, like James used to smile playing Lego, 
by gifting them Lego, which is something that we obviously want to do. And then to be there to support families and siblings as well. Sometimes siblings can get necessarily forgotten, but it's hard sibling side because the the child going through it is such a huge centre of attention um, because they need the, their needs are so great that the sibling can sometimes get a little bit lost or their needs can be held and put to the side. We want to be aware of that and try and help we can. So when we gift Lego to a child that's going through treatment, what we'd like to do is gift it to the siblings as well so that they've got something the whole time. Hopefully with the website, be a place to support and provide information where we can to families, parents. It can be a very, you can feel completely bogged down and in looking into fog when you've got no idea where to turn and who to go to for advice when there's not a vast amount of people that have been through similar. We know people that have been through it because we've, we've James was obviously diagnosed almost seven years ago, so we reach out to people. But sometimes resources aren't always available or obvious. Sometimes they are available, but because they're not well organised in a central place or it's hard to get to or people tell you something and then because your mind is so all over the place because you've just found out your child's diagnosed, you just forget because you're just completely overwhelmed and lost by it all. So if we can create somewhere where people can go to what support is available nationally and locally, the idea is to start small just around where we are and then branch out. A charity football match to raise funds for the James Anthony Foundation is taking place at Maidstone United's ground tonight. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. Now, have you got yourself a pumpkin yet? As we edge closer to Halloween, the boss of one of the biggest pumpkin picking farms in Kent has told the Kent Online podcast that the craze is only getting bigger. Charles Eckley launched the 25-acre Pumpkin Moon in Maidstone in 2016, but because of the popularity, he's since opened a few other sites in the county. He's been chatting with Cara and says he didn't expect to have such demand when he first started. So the first year, uh, I didn't know what to expect. I grew 95% regular orange pumpkins. Um, I learned within two hours of opening that you need to get more diversification. Uh, and then each year I just sort of expand what we grow depending on feedback and what customers say. Mm. Um, but we're now, from those initial days of just the orange ones, we've now got 100 different varieties. It's probably about 50% orange and 50% combination of um, squash and gourds and weird other sort of coloured pumpkins. The colourful ones, the, the little mini ones, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so how long exactly does it take to grow a, you know, a standard pumpkin? We planted everything on the 17th of May this year um, and the pumpkins are actually ready at the beginning of September. Um, so they all say anywhere between 90 and 120 days depending on the variety. Brilliant. And um, as you said there's also different varieties. Um, so you've got your, what, what sort of uh, are the main ones that people go for? And obviously, there's the traditional orange pumpkin. I don't know if that has a particular name or. <laughs> uh, well, orange ones, I've got about 20 different varieties because they then come in different sizes. So you've got the little teeny weeny ones, and I have different varieties. So each one's sort of like a few centimetres bigger than the previous one. 
So we can go for tiny little munchkins up to um, a great big monster smash, which could be a 40 kilo pumpkin. Wow, that's great. Um, on the other ones, we're seeing a lot more interest uh, from the foodies. And this has been since year one, there's been more interest. So you're getting a lot more, just people interested in eating the squash in particular. Uh, and then we get a lot of interest in vegans and vegetarians because the squash that we grow, you can't go down to the supermarket and buy it. Um, so we're seeing a lot more, I guess, visitors coming here as a food source, not so much as, a, you know, Halloween. Interesting. And that is definitely a growing market. Yeah, that's great. And too little, not everyone gets a pumpkin, too much, and there's just a load of, load of, I, I guess you, um, I don't know what you do with the, the other ones, but... Um... Well, we, uh, we do a glean at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what that means is that there's um, people called gleaners, mm-hmm. and they come and collect fallen or waste fruit. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the season, we can have up to 70 people turn up on site. They're all volunteers from the southeast. Um, one year in particular, they collected 42 tonnes of squash, <laughs> and then what it does is it goes through the UK... Um, distribution to um, homeless shelters, food parcels. Uh, it ended up, I can't remember, I have to dig it out, <laughs> but it literally, um, the pumpkins from here ended up in 20 UK cities and over a thousand shelters or hostels or, so it all, it all gets recycled and the gleaners will, they'll get the stuff from the supermarkets they don't want, they go into the orchards and pick up the apples. Uh, so whatever's left does go, it's you know, it gets a really good use out of it. They planted 80,000 seeds this year. A painting by Margate's Tracy Emin has sold for more than £2 million. That's a record for the artist who's going to use the cash to fund a new art school in the town. The work called Like a Cloud of Blood went under the hammer last night. Now with a look at everything that's going on in the county over the next few days, here's our feature writer Sam Laurie. This weekend is a pretty busy one as there are lots of festivals kicking off all over the county and it's really great to see so many communities being showcased and celebrated. Tomorrow sees the start of this year's Canterbury Festival, which returns with its first full programme since the pandemic. It's really great to see some of these festivals getting back on their feet after such a difficult couple of years. The three-week multi-arts festival in Canterbury has such an incredible range of performances. There's going to be drag cabarets, circus performers, stand-up comedy, plays and musicals, concerts, fascinating talks, family shows, outdoor activities and even a spectacular light show inside Canterbury Cathedral. There's honestly so much I haven't even had a chance to mention, so it's definitely worth checking out the full programme online and booking yourself some tickets. Also kicking off on Saturday is the Tunbridge Wells Puppetry Festival. The one-day festival celebrates the craft of puppet making and the performances that go along with it. It usually takes place every other year, but it's come back a year early due to demand. There were more than 15,000 visitors last October. The centrepiece this year for its under-the-sea theme is a giant 18-metre whale, which will actually host family shows inside during the day. There will also be a huge octopus puppet, pirates and mermaids, and a number of puppetry workshops to take part in as well. And the best part is, it's all free. And finally, the Tenterdine Food Festival starts today and will last for 10 days in and around Tenterdine. It's not your traditional outdoor food festival with stalls and tents and whatnot, but rather it's a chance for local food and drink businesses to show what they can do, attract some new visitors and give their regulars a treat for the next 10 days. 
Participating businesses like restaurants, pubs, bars and cafes will be offering special seasonal menus, exclusive discounts, one-off food and drink events and really just showing off the best of local produce to everyone that happens to pass by. (laughs) So if you're a food fan, it is definitely worth popping over to Tenterton over the next week or so and seeing what discounts you can find. It really doesn't matter what you're into. Kent's eclectic mix of festivals are sure to have something for everyone this weekend. Thanks for that, Sam. Kent Online Sports. Football and top of the table, Stevenage and former boss Steve Evans are the visitors to Gillingham this weekend. The Jills are down in 19th in League Two, but will be looking to continue their three-game unbeaten run. They go into the match off the back of another win in the EFL Trophy on Tuesday night. Here's manager Neil Harris. Every game at the level is a challenge. We, we, we know that for, for different reasons. Um, Stevenage will be a challenge in the sense of uh, they've got a lot of points, so they've been mentally they've been a good place to be confident. Um, we've got a big group of players. Um, you know, I'm sure Steve has selection headaches on who, who to pick because he's got so many senior players and very good players at the level um, um, so it's very fortunate in, in that instance um, but we, we, we know what attributes they have as well direct team physicality um, ask you a lot of questions of you and you have to stand up to it um, so you know different challenge to maybe what we were seeing against like a crew last week for example um, but every game's a challenge so we just have to make sure we find a different way of competing I think you always want to play the best teams you know so you, you, you want to play teams that, that are doing well um, so um, playing, playing Stevenage, playing, playing North uh, Orient, playing Northampton, and, and teams like that. Then yes, it is a good challenge. Um, and then you look at those sort of teams and look at sort of uh, at the top of the league because they're, they're in form, had luck, played well, um, got some experience. Various different reasons, um, but ultimately as well because they've signed good players that maybe we weren't able to get for example so um, you, you, want, you always want to challenge yourself players should want to challenge themselves um, I've always liked it as a manager um, going up against the better teams and um, trying to find a way to win games of football if you're the returning manager so it'd be, be important for Steve because he was here and he, he want to give a good account of himself and, and you know, I think Steve has a point to prove to anybody in football you know, his experience um, but you had that, that, that sparkle I suppose for him uh, for me as a manager it doesn't make any difference uh, my focus is only I've not managed Stephen is showing my focus is just Gillingham. Um, makes no difference to two managers that want to win on the touchline. Um, so, yeah, to, for, for me, it's just another game. I get sort of the question and the thought process around around people coming back. People have a, an opinion whether Steve done well, didn't do well. And again, it's just people's opinion. Um, so, I'll, I'll be fully fo- focused on the game. Kickoff tomorrow is at three. And don't forget, you can follow the action on the sports pages at Kent Online. Well, that's all for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also now get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site by subscribing at kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.